Judges chapter 16. I want to thank the elders again for the opportunity to be able to preach this summer to you guys three times. And um, I've learned a lot through this experience, and it's really confirmed for me that I do want to go into pastoral ministry. So it's been very helpful for me. And um, so thank you for the opportunity. Um, Today we get to cover the most famous story of Samson, Samson and his haircut, right? The famous story of Samson. We get to talk about the haircut, and hopefully you'll see why this is one of my favorite Old Testament stories. So with that, Judges chapter 16. Now Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up, bar and all, and he put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and you've told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into a web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And so she said to him, How can you say to me, I love you, when your heart is not with me? Look, you've mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like any other man. 
Now, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the Lord to the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the Lord to the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young men who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy scriptures through which we hear you speak to us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, enlighten our eyes and soften our hearts. Confront us now with the truth of your law and then comfort us with the truth of your gospel. Help us to see and believe Jesus. And we pray for the preacher, for we know his sins are many. In Christ's name, amen. Today's text starts off with a three-verse little mini-story just before we hit the main story of Samson and Delilah. And this little short story sets up for us an oxymoron, an oxymoron about who Samson is. He is the strongest, weakest man. The strongest, weakest man. Right? We see him in these first three verses. He sees a prostitute, and he goes and he visits her, and he stays there until midnight. And at midnight, he manages to escape from the city even while the Philistines are all encamped around him. Even while the Philistines are encamped around him. And he doesn't just escape. He takes the gates of the city with him and escapes with them on his shoulder. 
the gates of the city are the main point of defense. And so this was literally taking their entire defense system and just walking away with them to a nearby hill and placing it there. So clearly he's super strong. Clearly he has strength beyond any other human. But at the same time, he's a weak man. He's weak to the temptation of lust. He is enslaved to his eyes and to his lust. And so he's the strongest, weakest man. And that brings us to the main point today. That because we're enslaved to our sins, God brings us to the point of death in order to finally free us from our captors. God brings us to the point of death to finally free us from our captors. And we're going to talk about this in three parts. First, how we're enslaved to our sin. Second, how God brings us to the point of death. And then how God frees us from our captors. So first, how we are enslaved to sin. So now we're going to jump in to the main story, Samson and Delilah. So the Philistines asked Delilah to find out the secret of Samson's strength. And if she did, they would pay her 1,100 pieces of silver. And so Delilah goes up, to, goes up to Samson four times and asks him for the secret of his strength. Four times Delilah comes up to him and, comes up to him and is like, hey, what's your secret? What's the secret behind all your strength? And the first three times, Samson tells her a lie. The first three times, it's completely not the truth. And she tries out the lie every time. And every time the Philistines would come and try to attack Samson, and they couldn't subdue him, and Samson would break free. But the fourth time, he does tell her the truth, and Delilah cuts his hair. He's defeated by the Philistines, and he's captured. But it happens four times. He should have realized after the first time that this was a trap. It should have been clear that Delilah was setting him up to be captured by the Philistines. How could he do this three more times? At first you might be thinking there's something missing in this story. There's got to be some other reason that he would keep going back to Delilah. But there really is no other reason. The only reason he goes back is that he's not using his reason. He's not acting on logic. He's acting off of lust. He's acting off of lust. If you remember the theme from the last time I spoke... Samson's M.O. is doing what is right in his own eyes, right? Doing what's right in his own eyes. And for him right now, Delilah was right in his eyes. And so that's what drove him. His lust drove him to his actions. Samson is acting stupidly. He's acting against all common sense. But as they say, common sense is not so common. Remember, Samson is also a picture of Israel, Right? Samson's a picture of Israel. And if you know the story of ancient Israel, you realize that this little brief vignette of Samson describes accurately Israel's life as well. Right? Israel, time after time, goes after the foreign gods of the nations around them. They go after the false idols of the people around them. They know what's happened in the past. They know the consequences of their sin. They know ultimately that this will lead to judgment from God. But they keep going back to these false idols. And so when we read the Old Testament, when we read the story of ancient Israel, we also see that this mirrors Samson's unfaithfulness. How could a people be so, unf- be so forgetful? How could a people be so weak to temptation? We tend to think that 
if people taste a little bit of the negative consequences of their actions, that'll keep them from doing the thing, right? Uh, you, no one touches a hot stove twice. You learn the first time. But Samson's story and Israel's story teach us that that's not always the case. I think the idea of addiction helps describe Samson's actions perfectly. Addiction is a problem at the heart level, not at the will level. Addiction affects us at the level of compulsion. Addiction overrides our wills. It overrides our ability to choose. Bishop Allison, uh, Fitzsimmons Allison says, the amazing thing about the alcoholic is that he can choose between gin and beer and whiskey, but he can't choose not to drink. He can't choose not to drink. The addict is stuck. He can't will himself out of his loves. He can't will himself out of his desires. He might know what is right, but he doesn't have the ability to do what is right. And so Samson's an addict. He obviously knows Delilah's tricking him. He obviously knows this is a trap. He obviously knows he shouldn't go back. But he's an addict, and so his compulsions override his will. And aren't we the same? Aren't we addicted too? For some of you, this might be easier to admit this to yourself. After all, for you, you know you're addicted to some substance or behavior, whether that's alcohol or pornography. You know this feeling of helplessness because it's in your face on a daily or weekly basis. But some of you might be thinking that this addiction thing isn't your problem. You don't struggle with these name brand addictions, the big ticket addictions. However, I think it's helpful if we frame all of our sin struggles as addictions. Why? Because all sins lie at the level of compulsion. All sins lie at the level of our heart. Our sin comes from our sinful compulsions overriding our wills. And so I chose Romans 7 to be read earlier because I think Paul there is describing his struggle with sin as kind of a struggle against addiction, right? Listen to this. I took some of the verses from Romans 7 and just put them together. See if it doesn't sound like an addict talking to his Alcoholics Anonymous group or to his therapist. I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Nothing good dwells in me. I've got the desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry out. I don't do the good I want, but the evil I don't want, that's what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Doesn't that sound like an addict? Doesn't that sound like Samson going back to Delilah for the fourth time? Doesn't that sound like Israel turning back to false idols over and over again? Doesn't that sound like your struggle with pornography? Doesn't that sound like your addiction to need to be liked by everyone around you? We all know what we're supposed to do. We all know who we're supposed to be. But we find ourselves driven by our heart's desires. We have the knowledge of what's right, but our hearts compel us to do and act for what is best for ourselves. This is what it means to be a sinner. It means we're bent at the very core of who we are. 
our loves and our desires are broken, and so our actions come out of those desires. And so even if intellectually we know what's right, we can't manage to actually do what's right. And this is what the Bible describes as original sin. Original sin is that sin we've inherited from Adam, our forefather, and it infects us at the heart level. John Zoll, who wrote an amazing book called Grace and Addiction, The Good News of Alcoholics Anonymous for the Rest of Us. It's a fantastic book. He writes this in that book. Addiction echoes the biblical portrait of original sin, where man is in conflict with God and unable to surrender. Unable to surrender. And I think he's absolutely right. We're all addicts. And our compulsions push us to rebel against God. And it pushes us away from God. And we can't surrender. We're stuck in our sins. Our hearts are corrupted, and so our wills choose what is evil. And this was the realization I had to have while studying the story of Samson. When I first read the story, all I could think about was how stupid Samson was for going back to Delilah over and over again. But then it hits me that I am Samson. This is my struggle too. Proverbs 26.11 says that a fool who repeats his folly is like a dog returning to his vomit. A dog returning to his vomit. And as gross as that picture sounds, if I'm honest, that's what my struggle with sin looks like. It's me returning to my vomit again and again. And so in this way, Samson really is like the rest of us. He might have superhuman strength, but he has a weak and sinful heart. And this weakness leads him to his defeat. And this brings us to the second point, that God brings us to the point of death. God brings us to the point of death. So the fourth time that Delilah asks Samson for his secret, the text says that he was pushed to the point of being vexed to death. He was vexed to the point of death. And so Samson finally relents, and he tells Delilah the secret that his strength lies in his hair. And so Delilah shaves his head. Samson becomes weak. He's defeated by the Philistines. And his eyes are gouged out. His head is shaved, his eyes are gouged out, and he's forced to work at a mill and grind grain. Samson is brought all the way down. The strong man of Israel is brought to his knees. Before this, he was undefeated, but now the moment the Spirit of God leaves him, he becomes nothing. He becomes like everyone else. God lets Samson's actions have their consequences. It's not simply that the, that the Philistines have defeated Samson, but really God has defeated Samson at this point. Remember, Samson's the one who did what was right in his own eyes, but now he has no eyes. In a sense, this whole story, he's been blind, but now his physical blindness is a sign that he's hit rock bottom. He's hit the end of his road. His addiction has led him to rock bottom. And again, we need to talk about the connection between Samson and Israel. The book of Judges was probably written down on paper much later after the events here took place. It was written to Israel once they were already in exile. Many, many years later. It doesn't mean that the story didn't happen. It was just passed down orally until this, until this story was written down. But when it was told to the people of Israel, they were already in exile. God had already handed them over to be judged by the nations around them. They, like Samson, had already bottomed out. 
They had hit rock bottom. They were led astray by their eyes, and so God handed them over to be judged by the nations. They were in the hands of the uncircumcised, like Samson was. So when they were hearing the story, when Israel was hearing the story in exile, it was not a warning of what could happen if they don't get their act together. It was not a warning of, you need to do this right now and fix yourselves. This was really a picture of what was already true about them. They were already Samson. This was their situation. And maybe this is a story you can relate to in that way. Everyone's hit a point in their life where they felt the consequences of their sin. Whether it's the selfishness of your life hurting your relationships with the people you love. Whether it's your pride rising up and hurting those around you simply to save your own face. There are times in our life when the suffering in our life is caused by things outside of our control. But there's also times in our life when the suffering we face is caused by our own self-sabotage, caused by our own evil actions. In fact, maybe you feel like you're there today. And all of us, to greater or lesser degrees, are there in some way. Maybe you feel like this past week you've, you've gone horribly off the way and you need another week to fix yourself up, to clean yourself up and crawl back to God. But you couldn't be further from the truth. You couldn't be further from the truth. You might be closer to the grace of God than you could ever imagine. As one of my favorite pastors is fond of saying, God's office is at the end of our rope. God's office is at the end of our rope. And this brings us to the last point that God overthrows our captors. God overthrows our captors. Samson is at the end of his rope. He's blind and he's as good as dead. Israel is at the end of their rope. God has left them to the hands of the nations around them. God has actually left both Samson and Israel at this point in the story. Israel, God leaves their temple. We see this happen in the book of Ezekiel. God, and the text here in Judges tells us that God has left Samson. God created both Samson and Israel to be special and set apart from their birth, but they both rejected that. And now they'd become like every other person. They'd become like every other nation. They had disobeyed, and it was over for them, and God abandoned them. And maybe you feel like God has abandoned you today. After all, he should, right? All your addictions, all of your sins... As the psalmist says in Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? We cannot stand before our God, not with all of these sins, not with these addictions, not with these half-hearted virtues. But it's at this point in the story where we see hope. At this moment in the story, we realize that God actually hasn't completely left the story. Look at verse 22 possibly my favorite verse in all of the Old Testament. The hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This is not just a fun fact about Samson's hair follicles. This isn't just a throwaway comment. From a literary point of view, this is brilliant foreshadowing. This little fact meant that not all was lost. It meant that God would still be faithful to his people. It meant that God would still begin to redeem Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And so we enter this next scene, right? The Philistines throw this big festival, this feast, this party for their god Dagon. 
they're glorifying their god Dagon because he's, in their minds, he's handed Samson into their hands. And now they could celebrate. And so they bring Samson into this party so they could mock Samson. They could mock this man who is now weak. But as we know, this ends up being their doom. Samson asks to have his hands lean up against the two pillars that hold up the whole building. And then he cries out to God for help one last time. Let's stop and look at this prayer. He says in verse 28, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Finally, Samson has strong faith in God, right? Wrong. Even here, at this last moment, this man is driven by vengeance. He could have said something like, God, let me avenge you, for these these uncircumcised people have reviled your holy name. But no, Samson wants vengeance for his eyes. He wants revenge because these people have taken out his eyes. It's still about Samson, even at this prayer, even at the end of his life. However, he still does cry out to God. And that is a sign of his weak but living faith. Weak but living faith. And this is where the most shocking thing happens. God actually listens to his prayer. God listens to Samson. God listens to this man who has rejected uh, his rule. From the beginning of his life, he was meant to be consecrated to God. He was supposed to be a Nazarite, which meant to follow three rules. Don't drink, don't touch dead bodies, and don't get a haircut. And he breaks all of them without any regret. He only did what was right in his own eyes, even once he was blind. He's a mess. He's a sinner. He's an addict. And if he had just obeyed God at the end, if he just used his common sense with Delilah, he wouldn't even be in this mess. He had rebelled against God his entire life, a God who had only done good to him. But it's as if, at this moment, when God answers his prayer, it's as if God has forgotten the whole beginning of the story. It's as if, in God's eyes, Samson had always obeyed. God doesn't treat Samson as he deserves. God treats Samson as he doesn't deserve. God shows Samson grace. And God gives Samson strength at this one last time. And so now Samson stands there with his arms outstretched upon the two pillars in the famous crucifix position, and he brings down the house upon the Philistines. And he destroys more Philistines by his death than he does by his life. Now, I hope you start to see how closely this actually parallels Christ's death and Christ's suffering. Christ, too, was betrayed for silver. Christ, too, was abandoned by the Father. Christ, too, was made to be a public display of humiliation. And those around him mocked him. They mocked him because he was stronger earlier in his ministry He was doing all of these miraculous signs and so they stood around Christ and they said, he saved others. Why can't he save himself? They mocked Jesus when he was on the cross because look at him. He was weak, arms outstretched upon a cross. But those that mocked Jesus didn't see what was really happening. They didn't see that Jesus actually had his arms resting upon the pillars that held the world in slavery. 
They didn't see that Jesus had his hands upon the pillars of sin that run this world. Listen to these verses from the New Testament and let it paint a picture in your mind of what Christ was doing on the cross when he looked the weakest. When he looked the weakest. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, now is the, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Paul says in Colossians that God through Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And the author of Hebrews says that through death, through death, Christ destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. They were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, this is the work of Christ on the cross for you. At the cross, when Jesus seemed the weakest, he was striking a death blow against the foundation of the problem of sin and death and the devil. We think the world was putting Christ to open shame, but he was putting them to open shame. He was freeing the world from death. He was freeing the world from slavery. He was casting down the ruler of this world. This was the end of the road for the devil, not the end of the road for Christ. And so just as Samson brought down judgment upon the people who held the people of God in slavery, Christ was now bringing down judgment upon all those who held his people in slavery. He was freeing those whom he loved. He was bringing down judgment on sin, death, and the devil And this is important news we need to hear when we start realizing that we are addicts caught in sin. When we start realizing we're Samson's. We need to know that Christ's death means that ultimately sin is not our master. Ultimately sin has been defeated. Even on those days when it feels like sin has control of us. Even on those days when it feels like our heart is as dumb as Samson's eyes. On those days, it's still true that in Christ's death, sin has been defeated. It cannot have the last word. And so, Samson's story teaches us two main things that help us in our addictions. Two main things that help us fight our sin. First, it teaches us that because of Christ, God looks at you now as if you've never sinned. God doesn't see all your failed attempts at fighting your addiction. God doesn't see all the many times you've fallen again and again. Just like God didn't see all of Samson's previous sins, and he treated him with grace, that's how he treats you now. He treats you with grace. In fact, the scriptures tell us that God, the all-knowing God, the one who knows everything, he has forgotten something, and that something is your sins. He's forgotten your sins. He doesn't remember them anymore. He sees only Jesus. He sees only Christ's righteousness, which is given to you as a gift that you receive by faith. In God's eyes, you are wearing Jesus' white robes. And so that's the first thing, that God looks at you now as if you've never sinned. The second thing the story teaches us is that Christ has ultimately defeated sin. It might feel like sin has complete control over you, but it doesn't any longer. 
Of course, you will continue to sin and to struggle, as we read in Romans 7. We're going to continue to fall. And there'll be days when you feel like you keep losing battles again and again and again. But we, we, we're comforted by the fact that we know that though we lose a battle, Christ has won the war. No matter how many times you fall, you can get back up and continue resting in Christ. Continue fighting your sins because ultimately he has won the victory. You are forever safe in him. There is no sin that can follow you forever. They may tag along in this life till you die, but they must die when you die, for they already died when Christ died. They must die when you die, for they already Christ when they already died when Christ died. So rest hard in Christ's death on your behalf. And let the news that the war is already won put wind in your sails as you continue to fight against your sin in this life. In conclusion, as we, as we head to the Lord's table, remember that the Lord's table was playing off of some of the Old Testament imagery of the Passover, right? And at the Passover, the Jews were celebrating the fact that Moses, that God through Moses was bringing the people of God out of slavery, out of bondage, out of the land of Egypt, and he was bringing them into freedom. He's bringing them into freedom. God was destroying the powers that had enslaved his people, right? That's what they were celebrating at the Passover. God defeating the powers that enslaved them. And the New Testament calls, calls Jesus' death and resurrection a new exodus, a new exodus. And that's what we're celebrating at the Lord's Supper. Christ has defeated the powers that enslave us. Christ has defeated death and sin and the devil, and so this Lord's Supper celebrating that new exodus, this new deliverance, this new deliverance from slavery into freedom as we enter that new promised land, that new promised rest. And so if you're here today and you, believe, and you don't believe in Christ, allow these elements to pass you by. But don't allow the elements to pass you by simply because you feel like your past week looked like Samson's life. This table is for people who are as needy as Samson. We might feel enslaved to our sin, but this table reminds us that Christ has won the battle. This table reminds us that we share in his victory. This table gives us strength in the spirit to continue to fight our sin and to continue to put to death all that is evil in us. This table reminds us that God treats us graciously, just as he treated Samson graciously, all because of Jesus, who won for us this victory for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of Samson's. You are the God of addicts. We thank you that where sin abounded, grace has abounded all the more. Father, we struggle in our lives against these sins, these sins that have entangled us so easily. Apart from your grace, there is no health in us. But you have defeated sin and death and the devil at the cross. You have judged them and you have put them to open shame. We give you glory for this salvation which you have worked on our behalf. You've defeated our captors. Let that message of freedom break into our lives. 
through the Spirit. Let it give us hope when all hope seems lost. And let it be a light for us when life seems so dark, when we seem so dark. We thank you, Father, for your grace. We pray all this in the name of our older brother, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has won this victory for us. In his name we pray. Amen.